0: You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, it is so good to be back with you. This week, I am going to introduce you to a new face and, uh, well, for those of you that are not watching on YouTube, voice. His name is Adrian Beale, and he is the co author of the best selling book, The Divinity Code to Understanding Your Dreams and Visions. Now, the other co author of that book is named Adam Thompson, and many of you will recognize that name from this podcast. Adam has joined me twice, those have been uh, wonderful times. Now, Adrian has ministered extensively throughout the world and has an ability to release the spirit of understanding. He is the author of a book we're going to be talking a lot about today called Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight. And he uh, was at a conference that my wife and I were also at very recently here in Australia. And so we got to meet him in person. And that was just a, a real pleasure. So Adrian, welcome to Discovering Truth with Dan Hall. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for the invitation to speak to you. Well, you know, thank you for bearing with me. And um, man, you know, folks, Adrian is what I call a deep thinker. And he is a theologian and, and someone who minds the word of God for nuggets and treasures. And, and what you're gonna to experience today as we talk, is gonna be the fruit of that. So um, get ready to put your thinking caps on. You will need them now. <laughs> Adrian, I want to start off uh, with, with a question that you really open your book kind of discussing, and it is the connection between God's kingdom and God's glory. And so, would you please just open up and kind of walk us into this connection? All right. So that Daniel, that is a
1: huge question. Uh, to answer here in um, you know a day or two. But <sighs> in a nutshell, the way that I see things from Scripture is that every kingdom had a glory. So Solomon's kingdom had a glory. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom had a glory. And Jesus' kingdom has a glory. He is also that glory. Jesus is the glory of God. And um, we've all fallen short of that glory. Just what I like and what I've what I've paralleled for us so much is that when so Jesus, the presence of Christ, is that glory and he in turn is the kingdom. But I think what's important for watchers and listeners here this 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 time that they're whatever the time is that they're watching this is that just as Israel moved from Egypt through the Negev or through the wilderness into the promised land, we Uh, today we move from the world into having a place where our mind is transformed and renewed to moving into the land of God's promises and so we make that transition uh, and God is wanting us to make that transition into the kingdom and that is akin to the glory of God in its fullness now Jesus ministered John chapter 2, and revealed his glory. Jesus ministered. John chapter 11, the bookends of the miracles in John's gospel. And each one makes reference to him revealing his glory. And each one of those is a revealing or an insight into that kingdom that was about to be uh, revealed to the world through his death upon the cross. And so uh, hopefully that has answered in a measure the question that you've asked, Daniel.
0: Fantastic. All right, folks, so um, if your thinking cat fell off of your head, now it's your opportunity to take a breather, (laughs) put it back on. Look, Adrian, this is going to be a lot of fun. And one of the things that is true is I'm a big kingdom guy. Like, I am all about the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, I love what you just said there, because you said that Jesus is the glory of God's kingdom but he is also God's kingdom. And I, I love this because one of the things that I've said for a long time to people, I've said this, <laughs> Jesus is the realm of his own kingdom. And I, I use realm language a lot and, and, and there's a reason for that, but, but, but the word realm really means, really means kingdom. It actually means a government or a kingdom or a region or a territory or a jurisdiction. And what we need to understand as the body of Christ is that God didn't just send Jesus to die for us so that we could come to him, but that we could enter him and be one with him and in him, which is the entrance into kingdom living. Yes. It's spectacular. And this is where I think there's a big uh, 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 break in Christian thought on how to engage Christian faith. Now, let me pause there. This is your interview. So I have a question for you and um I want you to help me understand Adrian. How does God's kingdom bring eternity into today? Oh, um
1: Can I can I um <laughs> preface can I preface this with some a foundation? Fantastic. Uh, that uh foundation is that many people don't understand that the kingdom is here today and many people um, have come to the cross and they understand the cross for it's the, uh, the precious blood and the redemption that that blood brought for us. But the cross is also, uh, you know, uh, a gateway into the kingdom. Yes. Now people would, people would say, well, it says in John 10 that Jesus is the door. All right. So, but you cannot speak about the cross without speaking about Jesus and you cannot speak about Jesus without speaking about the cross because they're synonymous and so what um, god has sh- shown us is that just as Israel moved into uh, through the Negev uh, into the wilderness should i say into the promised land Many uh, Christians and denominations today have moved into that wilderness, but they haven't entered into the kingdom that Christ has cre- uh, not created but provided for us and the provision that's there through that kingdom. And so, I think, first of all, Daniel, it's important that people understand the relevance of the kingdom being here today. If they don't, then it's always just that carrot that's dangled before them that they never actually get to. Does that make sense?
0: Of course it makes sense.
1: Okay. So, but, so, if, you know, if you see in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Jesus teaching the disciples for 40 days about the kingdom, and then the disciples not recording that, that tells us a couple of things. And it tells us that that it wasn't just for a future dispensation. Come on. Because otherwise they would recorded it just like they recorded the Gospels. Uh, it also tells us that um, that they were going to step into that when Jesus ascended. And one of the things that we fail to recognize is that when Jesus ascended, our gospel, primarily the gospel that we have been uh, imbibing uh, and adopting, is one of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. But we've always failed to read through to verse 25 where it says, uh, and, and now he's sitting on the right side of the Father, waiting for his enemy to put under his footstool, which means that he's ruling and reigning right now. And what that means is that when he ascended, he was ascending to his throne. And if we understand that in his ascension, he's ascending, uh, he's moving to his throne. Things like Ephesians 4 verse 8, where it says, and when he ascended, he um he took captivity captive and gave gifts to men is a picture of a triumphant king returning to his capital and his throne, the seat of his throne. And in the process, all of those that were held captive are in his train or in that parade behind him. And in the process of that, he's handing out gifts to those who've, who've, who've come and been freed and we are in that train. We are those that He is free. And now He is ruling and reigning in heaven. And that's why it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, He says that He is the expressed image of His person, the radiance of His glory. Uh, it says, after He, he uh, redeemed us through His blood, sat down at the right hand side of the Father. So as soon as uh, the, the redemption and our sin was dealt with at the cross, Jesus, in effect, is sitting down now at the right hand of the Father. Once we understand His ruling and reigning, we can then start to realize that when we battle and when we fight, or in the situation we're in right now, if we understand the victory of the cross and and what that that um, brought for us and what that wrought for us and the dimensions of that victory, then suddenly we can start to access that kingdom that Jesus has provided for us because that's the kingdom that He rules and reigns over. So um, that's a, a, a good preface to answering any other question, I guess. So first of all, we need to know that it's here. All right? And the second thing, Daniel, is that we need to understand that to, to enter that kingdom, uh, just as the Israelites move from the through Egypt, through the wilderness, to the promised land, we make that same transition and we fail often to see the parallel of our journey because we're just like them. Also, let me say this, that two and a half tribes settled short of the promised land. Uh, Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Reuben means behold a son. Gad means a troop or a crowd, and Manasseh means causing to forget. And so what you find is if you you read that out, it says behold a son following the crowd uh, causes to forget all right behold a son following the crowd causes to forget and what that says to us is what did they forget they forgot that god had promised them a land from genesis 12 and genesis 15 that god spoke to abram abraham that he would he, his his seed would inhabit that land the land of canaan and so if we just follow the mob then we will miss out and we'll settle short of what god has for us uh, in our wilderness experience, not stepping into what God has. Once we realise that, and I'm sorry if, if this is going down a road where you're not like, it's, it's perfect. That's great. So what I find is this: that what we need to grasp a hold of is are the truths that the children of Israel grabbed in their wilderness journey, and the number one truth that I would think that we need to grasp in a podcast of this length, is Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, where it says that, I led you into the wilderness, I humbled you, and I caused you to hunger, and I fed you with manna that you didn't know, and that your fathers didn't know, that you might come to know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that is spoken out of the mouth of God, or proceeds out of the mouth of God. That one verse actually defines for us what manna is. And so that manna is that which proceeds out of God's mouth. And so what it says is that manna is as revelation. And the children of Israel had to live, live by manna as we have to live by revelation. And if we're going to step into that kingdom that's here right now, the number one thing we need is revelation. All right, And that takes spending time with God, meditating in his word, praising him, worshipping him, and so on. Um, now, in that one verse as well, it says that you didn't know it and your fathers didn't know this manna. And what that suggests to us, Daniel, is this, that, If the fathers didn't know it, and we know in the wisdom of hindsight from Numbers chapters 13 and 14, that they saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own sight, which means that they had a wrong self-image. They had a a wrong perception. They had wrong thinking uh, of who they really were. And what this says is that revelation has the ability to challenge wrong thinking number one number two as it also applies to this generation so it says that you you didn't know it and your fathers didn't know it so as it applies to this generation that's us that's those listening to this podcast right now you and i here on youtube what that says to us is that it has the ability to step beyond our understanding get us to step beyond our understanding and so what revelation does is it provides a model or a framework for us to step in beyond the ceiling we placed over ourselves. And so it's critically important that once you understand the kingdom's here, we parallel Israel, we need revelation, to, and revelation are the access points for us to step into that kingdom. Now, each one of those access points relates to the cross. Wherever the kingdom, you, will, you can't have the kingdom without the cross. Right, and you, you can't have the cross without the kingdom. And we've settled for the cross without the kingdom. And so we need to realize that the two, are, they're aligned and they are one. Now, there's, there's so much, there's, I've got so many now thoughts and so much going through my heart that I want to share.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I've, I've been told that to have that effect on people. Let's <laughs> 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 see, if I'm doing my job right, you don't want to stop talking. <laughs> That's true. Let me, 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 me project this way. Let me project this way. The Bible says that we are citizens in heaven from which we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it seems like people think they are citizens of their own desperate situation. That's where they built their house and where they live. And kingdom revelation challenges that fundamental disposition yes yes well that's that's
1: the children of israel coming through and that's that jerome 8 verse 3
0: let me ask you a question in your book you have an interesting discussion on isaiah 53 9 which says they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth what do you have to say about that
1: the, one of the things that uh, we often fail to understand is that the kingdom is multidimensional. Mm-hmm. And uh, most, for most of us, um, when we have communion, which is our, our Passover, our calling back and memorial of our crossing over, and I believe that there's a parallel between the children of Israel entering the Red Sea and our baptism. It's interesting that in Hebrew, the word blood is dam, and literally the word spell out um, door of water. And so for us, they went through the door of water. They were passing through the death of the lamb that took place in Exodus chapter 12. When you come to Isaiah, you, you mentioned Isaiah 53. The, the reason I said that is because most of us, most of our reference at the communion time or our memorial for the cross is isaiah 53 when we don't we don't realize that isaiah 53 maybe it's a peak but it's only one of the many mountains that christ wants to reveal to us that we can access through um communion and through the cross uh, isaiah 53 9 which says that he you know he he died basically with the wicked and he was buried with the rich has many layers to it dimensions to it and it's interesting that what peter writes at the end so peter interprets the last part of that verse the last part of that verse says uh, it says nor was any deceit found in his mouth it says uh, because uh, in in isaiah 53 it says um let me just read that to you it says because he had done no violence neither was any deceit in his mouth.'" Well, Peter does us a favor in 1 Peter 2.22 and he reinterprets that last part of the verse and he says, because he did no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So does it sound right that because he was sinless and he never said anything wrong, that he should die with the wicked and have a, you know, a nice shiny coffin? Because basically that's what we're saying. To me, that's an injustice. And so what that says to me is that's something that we should explore. And so as you explore that verse and you pull it apart, you find out some things and you find out that, uh, you find out that beneath the surface of the words that we have so readily interpreted. And, and so commentators are so readily aligned with the other guys, the thieves on the cross and with Joseph at Arimathea, we, we find out that um, there are, there's, an, there's another dimension to this whole verse. And that when it says, it, they, they, uh, it says, uh, and with his, the rich in his death, we find out that there's multiple dimensions to that. And so it actually literally says, in his deaths, plural, which jumps out at you and hits you and you go, in his deaths. What are you saying here? Now, Jesus one time died, but there are multidimensional um Uh, multi-dimensions are opened in that death. And he dealt with multi-dimensional spiritual uh, adversaries and and dimensions of provision for us in that one-time death. And so I I see the cross as the center of eternity, as the the vortex of time, as the very, you know, the very, you know I can't express it here I can't find the right words to express it, but remember this uh, Daniel, that it says that revelation thirteen verse eight that he's this lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, and if we come to understand that that then jesus um, was already dead in eternity, and many people talk about eternity as being outside time, uh, I would challenge that thinking. I don't believe it's outside time. I believe it's outside chronological time. But if, if, if eternity is outside time, what that means is what you did in eternity wouldn't affect us here. And because there is cause and effect, it means it's not outside time. I rather refer to eternity as the fullness of time. And so if you realize that Jesus is the landslain slain uh, from the, the very beginning of the foundations of the earth, then what Jesus does is he accesses eternal truth as he's ministering, for example, in Matthew chapter eight Matthew chapter eight is really the beginning of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Matthew uh, in Matthew chapter five, he sets forth what we have called the Beatitudes and, and beware that the labels that you know the publishers and uh, have put into um, the, the scriptures often are great for help you find a passage of scripture quickly, but what that does is it also conditions you to read certain things into that passage and, and the, really those the Magna Carta or the Sermon on the Mount and the what we 've called the Beatitudes are more than the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. They are an unfolding of the principles of the kingdom in those eight you know the, the blessed are the poor in spirit all the way through the blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake quickly here blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are the, those persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven that's the two ends of a scroll turn it sideways open it up and the, then the eight precepts in those what we've called the beatitudes blessed is you know blessed is this blessed is that blessed is that i can't open that here but there's the depth here it talks about the presence of god being on every one of those facets but then jesus what he does is he then expands on the eight precepts or the eight principles or eight foundations of the kingdom in what we call the sermon on the mount and so what he does he lays out the precepts then he expands on them in what we call the sermon on the mount if you like in layman's terms all that which you read in red from chapters five six and seven in matthew and in matthew chapter eight he starts out in the journey demonstrating those principles and the very first thing he does is he cleanses a leper So to cleanse a leper, I'm going somewhere with this, I'll get there eventually, Daniel. Uh, The first thing he does is he cleanses a leper. Now, in Leviticus chapter 14, what is the offering for the cleansing of a leper? It is to do this. You get two heavenly beings, two turtle doves. You put one in an earthen vessel, and you kill that bird in the earthen vessel, and then you dip the other bird in that so that it can spread the message and the cleansing of that blood. Jesus and the Holy Spirit have come down. Jesus has been clothed with humanity. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. He's been, he's been uh, sacrificed for the sins of the world. And now the, the Holy Spirit now um, relates that and, and brings that message and clen- that cleansing of that message. All right. And so the next thing he does is then he heals a centurion's servant of a fever and you see angels go to work straight away. You you don't actually see them. And that what this also tells us, uh, Daniel, and those that are listening is that most angelic activity, most of us want to see a physical angel because we want to put it into our, you know, we want to put a notch on our gun belt, uh, but most angelic uh, activity is unseen so that God gets the glory. And in that scene, you see that obviously the, the centurion understands that there's a hierarchy to the angelic realm. But the next scene is that Peter then, uh, Jesus then goes to Peter's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law of a fever, and then, oh, sorry, mother of a fever, and then you his know, mother-in-law of a fever. And then it says, that night they brought to him all those who were demon-possessed And he cast out the demons with a word and he laid hands on the sick and they all were healed. But it says this amazing thing. It says there from Isaiah, it says, and he did this to fulfill what Isaiah wrote. And what Isaiah wrote was that he, and he did that to fulfill what Isaiah wrote, that he bore our sicknesses and diseases or our infirmities, depending on what translation you read. Well, where did Jesus do that? Where did Jesus bear our sicknesses and diseases or our infirmities? Well, he did that at the cross. Well, technically, from the whipping post of the cross, because we know by his stripes we're healed. So, in that passion, Jesus healed us. So, Jesus is in Matthew chapter 8 here, the beginning of his mystery ministry. He's not in Matthew 27, he's not yet get being offered up on the cross, and yet he's ministering in a truth, an eternal truth of his death upon the cross. What that tells us is that Jesus stepped across the divide stepped into eternity, accessed that truth, which was Re- Revelation 13, verse 8, that he is a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And he pulled on that, stepped back into a chronological time span and applied that truth there and brought healing, brought deliverance based on the cross that had not yet been chronologically. Wow. Come on. So... You, you, you asked me a question about how do we enter that eternal time frame. We, att- we enter that eternal time frame just as Jesus did. Similarly, when Jesus is ministering to the Syrophoenician woman, she, she keeps dragging on him, pulling on him to be healed. And yet it's not the time for Gentiles to receive the gospel. And yet because of her faith, he stepped into that, that eternal time realm and moved into the future right just as he did before about his death on the cross and he brought that back into that dispensation and applied it there and then so he was an eternal time traveler just as you and i are and he accessed eternity the fullness of time and drew it back into his day it's the same thing as jesus disciples plucking the heads off the grain and how he referred to david the showbread when when it wasn't yet the full time for the for the priesthood of believers and so we we as, as, as the body of Christ or as sons of God, is probably a better description of us, have the, the ability and the, um, the privilege and the honor and the authority to step into that eternal realm based on his death upon the cross and access the provision that's in the, the cross. And there are so many dimensions of, to that. And Isaiah 53, 9 starts to open to us that in his deaths, um, he was he was you know buried what you find is that that word deaths now commentators say that that, that word is death is plural because of the intensity of the death that he experienced of, of what he went through but interesting thing is that the only other place in scripture where the word deaths is used in plural is um i think it's in uh is it ezekiel or uh, is it isaiah 28 or ezekiel 28 where it's made reference to the King of Tyre, and we know straight away that that's a reference to Satan, and and you know the description and the fullness of that passage actually describes it to be Satan. And so, what this suggests to us, Daniel, is this that where there are dimensions to Jesus' death, and everywhere where he suffered, uh, where the devil made him suffer, there is a parallel that takes place. And so, in his deaths. What he does is he strikes at Satan's. He strikes at Satan. So it's a bit like a curve here. So every time that Jesus went through uh, a dimensional truth and at his death upon the cross, if I can express it, because it's difficult for me to actually express something in a finite world, multidimensional, but every time he ex- he experienced um, the multidimensional nature of the cross is that when he died on the cross, he struck Satan in so many dimensions where the Satan's attacking us, basically. If I could, I, I can't really express it too well. But, um, and so hopefully that answers the question that you started out with. And I know I've filled
0: in a lot of gaps in the process. So in other words, you're saying that in Isaiah 53:9, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, or plural, deaths you're saying this is a description of Jesus's absolute bullying agenda for Satan. Yes, come on. Yes.
1: You know, so if we if we start to open that up and that's what the kingdom mysteries hidden in plain sight does, once you understand that the kingdom's here, that it's entered through revelation and that that it is an access point or the cross is an access point and Jesus' blood uh, is an access point into that multidimensional eternal realm. every one of all the narratives, every one of the stories from Genesis 1: one, excuse me, through to the end of the Gospels, portrays uh, those narratives are interdimensional views of kingdom truth. One of the things that we fail to realize is that the language of the kingdom uh, is parables. And we tend to think of parables of those lessons that Jesus taught with the truth beneath them in the book of Matthew, Matthew 13, 18, 20, 21. And yet we need to realize that when God releases kingdom truth, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And so the kingdom is always related or filtered through to us in parabolic form. And when you come to that revelation or understanding, then every one of the stories and narratives throughout scripture hold revelation truth for us that gives provides for us dimensions or aspects of provision that's there for us in the kingdom. And ours now is to mind that and to access that and to uh, see it materialize, see it realize. And so that we're not just theologians or so so that we're not just bookworms, but we're those that um, activate what we see. It's
0: so good. You know, I remember when I was in Bible school, and God started to, 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 to prod me on the kingdom. And I, I got pricked, and I was like, man! And I started to see, it was like for us on earth, the kingdom of God was like a, almost like a sphere, a, a, a dimensional trans-dispositioning. <laughs> yeah, I made that word up. <laughs> But um, I'm just trying, folks, to be as smart as Adrian here with my language. Transdispositioning. So we're in this, like, sphere of uh, distinguishment from the world that is surrounding us in 3D time, and we are living on both sides of a veil. And I started to see this, and, and, and then I had a great idea. I should read a book about it so i picked up a book about the kingdom parables and started to read and learned in that book that everything that i was thinking was wrong and i'd laugh at it now because i believed it and so i let go of all of this and i started to you know because in this season i started to say i would have to reinterpret every parable in light of a viewpoint that this is describing to me, the government of heaven in order to make sense. But instead I'm reading a book about these kingdom parables that says something else entirely. Yes. He can't be wrong on every point. This guy clearly is smart enough to get published. So I let it go for years. I was robbed of this kingdom revelation. God brought it back around for me years later. And he said, no, my kingdom is my government and it is now. And by the way, it's time to revisit those parables and time to learn how my government works through them because this will be unveiled. And, you know, every so often, it's like, you know, you just sit in this parable and suddenly, the realms open up. You know, Adrian, there's a one, one parable. Uh, it says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted and it grows into a giant tree and all the birds of the air come and in its branches. And, um, You know, one of the ways, and I think that every one of these parables can be layered in in an understanding of, of God's kingdom, but one of the levels of this understanding for me became, wait a minute, when that realm of disposition that is around me as the kingdom of God is in my heart and also surrounding me takes place, God's word or seed takes root in my heart and grows that realm outside of my body. It actually flourishes outside of me somehow. This means that when I enter a room, the government of God's kingdom precedes my personal physical presence. And in that environment, souls of people find nourishment from God's kingdom environment being projected forth from my person. I become an open door to heaven just by the fact that I exist as a manifesting son of God. And so I was at a conference and I. I mean, that's, because this thing has just kept going higher and further folks you need to know this you know so we're sitting at a conference and i'm like you know we have realms of inheritance in christ jesus in the heavens and i called everyone's spirit forward on this particular day and and one of the things that i have in the i I call it my rq but it's a realm of my inheritance in christ and spirit that's also an origin point or beginning And, and i have a school there right and so i said everybody you know if your spirits want to go and check out the schools and libraries come on in and a whole lot of people in the audience found themselves shifting dimensions into this realm and um this is the kingdom living it's like dude we are on both sides of a veil here yes we're on both sides of a veil and that is actually what god intended jesus demonstrated life on both sides of the veil he said by the way if you want to see what i look like on the other side of the veil come up and don't fall asleep come on in let's go in the cloud i will uh change and so he transfigured himself he's like look this is this is actually the other side of the veil version of me guys oh by the way guess who else is over here moses and elijah meet God of witnesses so you know i i i, I just love I love this kind of conversation. Let me ask you another question. Let me just what? say this too. Oh, Can no. I say this, Dan? Yes, yes, yes.
1: One of, one of the reasons that the, the disciples did not record what Jesus taught them in Acts chapter 1, verse 3 for those 40 days, and I see 40 as a gestation period, a gestation of a newborn before he steps into the kingdom. Mm. All right? And one of the reasons that he didn't, and the main reason that they didn't write it down, not only does it portray or relate to us that they were about to step into it and that they didn't need to record it, it wasn't for your future dispensation. But one of the other reasons why they didn't write it down is because it was already written down. It was already written down from cover to cover in the book that we call the Bible. We just haven't seen it as it should be seen. And God hasn't opened our eyes to it. So that the body of Christ uh, un- comes to understand that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but glory of kings, and we are those kings that uncover that matter. And so, for example, Daniel, in you know, we talked, you talked about uh, our dominions and our rules and authorities um, in Genesis chapter one. When God created, most of the time, as I've read that over the years, I've always seen it as the physical creation, and yet it begins in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And the emphasis is on the heavens and the earth. And so I know that there is a physical sun, moon and stars that are placed into heaven to rule the day and the night seasons on day four. But what God has shown me is that in that there, there's a parallel story. And if we want to really understand our authority and position seated in heavenly places, then the creation story opens that up for us. Because on day one, uh, God said, let there be light. And Jesus is the light of the world. And so what that is a picture of Jesus coming to earth, his manifestation to earth. On day two, he says that God separated the waters above the famine, above heaven, from that water which was below heaven. In scripture, the separation of waters is always a depiction of death. And so when Moses passes through the Red Sea, or the blood of Christ, um, I've deliberately dropped that in there, um, they are actually passing through the death of the Lamb in Exodus chapter 12. When Elijah and Elisha and Jordan parts for them, they're walking through eternity. And and now Elijah has opened up eternity to elisha so that elisha can go backwards and forward through that into that eternal realm so when when you see the parting of the waters on day two it speaks of jesus death because they're passing through death interesting thing here is that there's 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 a blessing on day one it says and god said it was good but there's no blessing on day two in the creation god doesn't say it's good but he says it's good twice on day three and for that reason, Orthodox Jews get married on a Tuesday or on day three. And that's why in John chapter two, it says on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana because it's on a Tuesday. Orthodox Jews get married on a Tuesday. But when you come, so day one, Jesus comes. Day two, he dies or his death upon the cross. On day three, what happens in day three is that the, the, the earth, which is beneath the water uh, under the firmament, then breaks forth out of the water and comes forth and so the water recedes but in effect what happens is the earth's coming that's a picture of we've got jesus coming his death and now we've got a picture of his resurrection because we have this treasure in earth vessels, is a picture of jesus resurrection coming out of the water because we bury we we baptize by full immersion death burial burial and resurrection underwater is death and burial and so when that earth is coming out as a picture of jesus resurrection interesting thing is that on day three it also says then then that the earth then manifests um, plant life grass herb and trees according to the seed within it and what that tells us because we are those trees spiritually we are those plants spiritually because of psalm one is that we grow into the tree or into the kingdom that comes out of our mouth (laughs) All right, and then on on day four, what you see on day four is that after so Jesus comes, he dies. There's a double blessing on day three, and so God says it was good twice, and so there's a double blessing on the resurrection. All right, not only does God see the earth coming out of the water as good, the resurrection, but he also sees that the plant life is good as well, coming out of the earth. On day four, then God sets the sun into the day sky to have rule and dominion over the day. Well, the Bible also says, if we if we bring that, which I spoke before, Isaiah 34 verse 16 says that every scripture has a mate. If we bring in another scripture and we'll get a depth of field that we didn't, it's like having two lenses together. And as you put the two lenses together, you get a depth of field that you wouldn't get as you were just reading the one passage of scripture. And so if you apply uh, Malachi 4, verse 2, it says, For those who fear his name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And that says the Son, the S-U-N of Righteousness, which obviously is Christ. And so for those who fear his name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise. That's his enthronement. And if we see that Jesus is enthroned right now, He's actually, what this declares to us is that he's healing more today than he was when he walked the planet. And so Jesus is healing more today and he's enthroned. And it says, wow, there's so much here, Daniel. Uh, let me go, I'm going to finish this story because then uh, hopefully we can get to David and Goliath because this will fill this out.
0: I mean, I just don't want you to keep interrupting yourself, Adrian. <laughs> I'm so excited.
1: Please okay, continue. So- well, this is on a, day four, and yeah. day four, the, the, he puts the sun to have rule and dominion over the day. And we know from Malachi 4:2, the son of righteous shall have, arise with healing in his wings or in his rays. And so there you have a picture of Christ ruling and reigning and his glory emanating to earth. And then it says, and he also then created the moon and the stars to have dominion over the night sky. Well, who is the moon? We find out from scripture, we bring another scripture together in there, that in Genesis 37, when Joseph has a dream, one of those dreams is that the sun, the moon, the 11 stars will bow down to him. And Jacob, his father, interprets that dream uh, and he says this, he says, shall I, your mother and your brothers, all bow down to you? And so what he's actually showing us is that the moon is a picture of his wife or of his bride. And if if the sun has rule over the day, who is the moon? Well, the moon is the bride of the sun. All right. And who is the bride? Hello. That's us. That's us corporately. And so, what this says is as we gaze corporately into his glory, we reflect that glory into a darkened world. Now, it also says that he put the stars into the night sky. And we know from Genesis 15, when God's speaking to Abraham, he says, your seed shall be as the stars of the sky. And so that's his promise. That, then that tells us that that's us. It's one with a different level of radiant glory. Uh, and it also says there that we are there for signs and seasons. Now, the word signs is literally miracles and seasons, even though this has become a little bit of a cliche, the word seasons is for such a time as this. And so what it tells us is that every one of us is created for this exact moment to be where we are so that we can reflect or not reflect his glory because the stars have their own radiant glory in a sense being in his presence. But they then are to, and corporately, we are to reflect that glory into a darkened world. So we've got day one, Jesus comes. Day two, he dies. Day three, he's resurrected. Day four, the kingdoms established and Jesus is ruling and reigning, and we're sitting in heavenly places. We have rule and dominion. And then he shows them the rest of the week, day five, six, and seven, of course day seven is the rest, but he shows us where we have that dominion. And on day five, he says that it gives mankind or Adam a dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Now, birds and fish, fish have wings. We call fish wings flippers and fins. They're just in a different medium. And what we need to realize is that's a depiction of spirits under the earth and the birds are the depiction of spirits above the earth. And then on day six, when he creates man, he creates uh, 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 land animals. Right, And so that they're also a depiction of spirits on the earth. And we know that Jesus won the victory above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth. And he's given us, as his sons, that same dominion. And the whole thing just starts to fill out. And we go right there at the very beginning, we realize that when God was speaking about creation, he was actually outlining to us a truth beneath the surface of his death and resurrection from the very foundation, and that we're part of that. It's absolutely awesome, Daniel.
0: But I have a feeling that it's going to get even more awesome. Adrian, because there's something about David and Goliath, this story that contains even more kingdom mysteries hidden plain sight. David and Goliath
1: is one of the most uh, uh, most frequently frequented, or you know, it's the most frequent one of the most frequented victories in Scripture because the good guy versus the bad guy. You know the the, the, the child, you know, um, you know, shepherd versus this war machine. And it is a, a depiction of Jesus versus the devil. And what you see when you start to open this up, well, you know, we were talking about before about how you fly over your own city and you see some landmarks and they pop up to you and you wanna go down to explore that further. What jumps out to me is that um, this battle in 1 Samuel chapter 17 takes place at a place called uh, Ephes Damon. Damon is blood, all right. And so Ephes Damon means the boundary of blood. And so what that re- makes reference to is the fact that the, the Philistines are camped on the boundary of eternity, trying to stop mankind moving in. And when when um, David steps forth to face goliath and goliath is there for 40 days this is a a period when uh, israel were meant to step through into that kingdom that was theirs and yet they were challenged by fear um and this will unlock in a moment because of where we are are at today with fears around the world with uh, this virus that's uh, a pandemic but what you actually see here is this that we're at the boundary of blood that grabs your attention. Um, Goliath comes forth, and he—he he, straight away he calls. He's dressed in brass from head to toe. So uh, brass in scripture is the metal that is used for the altars of sacrifice, and so therefore brass signifies judgment. Every time there's an altar, and every time there's a sacrifice, a judgment or a decision is made in our favour. Correct. So when we offer and make a sacrifice, a judgment is made by God in our favor. And so what you have is a picture of the devil coming forward to judge mankind. And the interesting thing is he challenges Israel to send him a man. Now, when the devil faces us, he wants to face us in our humanity. He does not want to face us in Jesus Christ. And so because he already has the victory of judging us as a man, because we failed. Uh, we are sinful beings without the cross, without Christ. And so, as he comes forth and he challenges, um, David does many things, but he, he cannot wear the armor of King Saul uh, that Saul offers him to go and face the, and, and take, take into battle. Uh, what I think is a very good practice for students of the word is to sometimes read between the lines or read what's not being said because god often speaks the loudest when he doesn't say at all for example in this situation in this scenario david says i can't wear this because i haven't tested this armor what armor had he tested is what we should be asking ourselves right and the answer to that is that he had tested god god was his shield and god was that which went before him that god was that which clothed him interesting in that battle is that the devil has a shield bearer uh, that runs before him carrying the implements of war you know the weapons of war and so the shield and so on uh, what i believe that god's shown me with that is this that he makes there's mention of him there a couple of times in that passage but he doesn't appear to do anything but what he is is a spirit of fear that precedes anything that the devil does. And so if the devil's involved, then a spirit of fear will will come forth and try to permeate uh, us in Christ so that we step back into being the man of the flesh, the man in the natural, all right? But it doesn't affect David, all right? Because he'd already defeated the lion and the bear, and that's another story. But what David does is um, he picks up five stones from the book. Most commentators. uh, What I, you know, you called me a theologian earlier. One of the things is I don't like to be bound to books, and I like to mine the scriptures and get revelation. But I will refer to books to see that I'm not too far out in the planet. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not a satellite out there too far. And so I don't like to get my revelation from books, but I like to check what I've got to see that it's not too out there. And what I read about. David and Goliath, and what I read about the five stones is that most people uh, align those five stones with the fact that Goliath's got four brothers. Um, I've also, one of the discoveries of my uh, my own was that the Philistines had five major cities. And so I could see that perhaps every city had their champion, you know, there were many competitions possible. But I don't believe it's either of those things that why he chose five stones. I believe that he went clothed in Christ, and I'll open that up in a moment, but he went with the heart of God into that situation. And on the heart of God, just as it is on the uh, priest ephod, are 12 stones. Uh, Well, it just so happens that the first five stones are Reuben, which means behold a son. Uh, Shammah, which means, oh, sorry, Simeon, which means hearing. So Reuben, Simeon, and then we have uh, Levi joined, so we have Beholder's son, hearing, joined, and then we have Judah, which means praise, and then quite remarkably, the fifth stone is Dan, which means judge. And just as the devil wants to judge mankind and comes into this battle, and in a, in a measure, David is a picture of a lamb to the slaughter, All right. and he is the sacrificial lamb. Of christ, the picture of christ and so as he steps forth god has a response to the enemy judging mankind this is going to turn back and this is going to bite the devil because because now what david does is he picks up one of those stones puts it in his sling now the sling is a concave vessel the 11th letter of the hebrew alphabet is cuff k-a-p-h-k-a-f-k-a-p sometimes spelled but in its original form daniel it's a picture of a cupped hand a concave hand and as such it's a picture of the human heart because you and i are concave vessels believers are filled Uh, david writes in psalm 23 my cup overflows so therefore he's saying my heart's overflowing with the goodness of god and so in a way you can understand that we are concave vessels and so that sling shaped like a concave vessel or is a concave vessel he puts Dan into that sling which is God's response to the devil's judgment. It says, behold, a son hearing, joined with God in worship or in praise brings judgment. And so this is God's response. And so what happens is David starts to wind that sling up. And anything circular in the spirit realm symbolically means it's spirit. It, in, in a sense, it's eternal because it has no beginning, no end. So therefore it's spirit. That's why angels sometimes you see them on photographs as orbs or spirits they're wheel within a wheel all right in a sense all right and so what you're actually seeing is a spirit in action and so what this shows you out of david's spirit comes a stone and that stone is a revelation and that revelation takes down the devil now let me bring this back to bring this together because david says you come to me with sword shield and spear but I come to you in the name of the Lord. L O R D in our Bibles, capital caps. L O R D is our version of uh, Yahweh or Jehovah, it's anglicized form, but it's our form of Yod He, Vav He. Yod is a hand. He means behold. Vav is a nail. Hey is behold. So if I were to paraphrase that, I come to you and behold the hand behold the nail. Oh. What this says is that David is a picture of Jesus on the cross standing in the victory of the cross and whenever we face a battle if we realize the dimensions of the victory on the cross and we stand and we don't, you know people have said that we don't fight for victory we fight from victory but if i believe it should probably we should be saying this if we understood the victory of the cross, or if we stood and we fought uh, from the success and the, the victory that took place there, and we realised and we worshipped in that place of the victory of the cross, we're already in the place of victory, in triumph in that situation. And then God fights that battle de- uh, dependent on the dimension of the cross that He is going to access for us, and often that comes, like that stone out of the sling, to strike Goliath's skull, which is a picture of his authority, it strikes him in his authority and brings him down. The interesting thing is, depending on your interpretation of Scripture, he ran the body. He, He took off Goliath's head with a sword. Whose sword was that? It was Goliath's sword. What that tells us is this when the devil comes clothed in brass, he comes and he judges us according to the word of God. The devil uses the word of God against us. But David or Christ pictured there coming in the victory of the cross, behold the nail, behold the hand, behold the nail. He's he's coming in the victory of the cross. And at the cross, the the tables were turned in such a way that the devil wanted to judge us. Uh, Jesus turned that around and judged the devil and defeated him because he was sinless. And nothing in the word could accuse him. Nothing in the word could destroy him. Nothing in the word could lay a claim to him. And so therefore, he then, in that, uses the word, and he destroys the devil forever. And what the Bible then says is that the Israelites then bandied and ran at the Philistines and raided their tents. We then have provision in the, the victory there in First Samuel 17 to be a part of that raiding of the enemy's camp because of what Christ has um, performed and, and achieved for us and the provision there in the cross.
0: So, I, I love this conversation, right? Let me say this, there's been a revelation that's been making its way around the body of Christ in recent years, it's called Courts of Heaven. Why? Because God's a judge. What does a judge have? A judge has a court. And so the Bible says enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise. Anyone that thinks God sense. doesn't have courts has not read the Bible. But there are different revelations on the purpose of the courts. And uh, depending on the revelation that one has of the courts will determine just how much the justice system of heaven will be at work for them in their lives. And here's the deal, right? There is, I would just call it a lower revelation of the courts of heaven. You can use it for the purpose of gathering the information. What are the legal rights by which the enemy is actually getting through God's protective shield on my life, right? Where's my accuser, and what's the accusation? Okay, that'll give me my strategy for repentance. When I know the accusation against me, I say, well, why is this happening? Well, you've been gambling. Oh, I guess I have been gambling. So maybe I should repent of that. Stop spending my paycheck and putting my family in poverty and uh, then the enemy will stop coming through the door. But there is a higher revelation of the courts because in one version, the devil's the accuser and you're the defendant. And then there's the courts where you're the accuser and the devil's the defendant. And in the book of Daniel, it's so interesting because it says, uh, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints. And that judgment comes against a little horn and the thing about it is you cannot have a judgment rendered against you in most cases unless you are the defendant to begin with because that's when you get sentenced you don't get sentenced yes. as a plaintiff and so what the body Christ used to wake up to is wait a minute we are called in Christ to step into the role and office of accuser to bring the justice case of heaven to the devil's works in the earth now render the judgment against him and then plunder his camp just like you said and Mm -hmm. it's like wow what have we been doing and this is the thing every prayer that i have adrian like all of my prayers to shake heaven and earth events like all these deliverance prayers render a case against the enemy for injustice on behalf of the person reading the prayer like that's the revelation we've been working with for like five years yes I am very excited about what you are saying.
1: What I, what I like about what you're saying is everything that you've written in the prayers is based on scripture, like the Psalm 91, uh, you know, the, the, I think it's the evening prayer or the morning prayer. You know, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, and the, the coverage and the protection that you have in that. One of the things that I, I, I think that we fail to do in the body of Christ is that we we tend to gravitate to the New Testament because of the pleasantness and the sense of lack of legality that's involved in. And yet, in 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 one sense, there's a greater response or um, um, responsibility on us in the New Testament. But we tend to shy from the Old Testament because we think it's couched in legalism. And yet, within that body of um, scripture of god's word you know when 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 samson killed a lion and then ate honey out of the carcass that is a picture of jesus destroying the law and then eating revelation out of it all right and so what this actually tells us is that beneath you know from from genesis 1 1 through to the end of the gospels until the new testament is actually established through jesus blood There are, they are, the stories and the narratives are historical events, facts. And they are couched in legalism, they are couched in the law, but within them is revelation beneath the narrative, beneath the story that God wants us to mine so that we can access dimensions of what we have access to in the provision of ours. And once we lay claim to it, in a sense, what we do is we're going into the heavens with that and battling with that, knowing that it's ours. And so we need to recognize the dimensions of the, that took place. And it comes back to Isaiah 53, verse 9, the dimensions of Christ's death at the cross. But one of the things that we fail to do is we fail to read the Old Testament in the light of the cross. And if we were to read the Old Testament in the light of the cross and we bring the cross into that equation, for example, uh, uh, the year of Jubilee begins with the Day of Atonement. Now, the year of Jubilee, of course, speaks of, the captives being set free, all debts being cancelled, all of us moving back to our possession, you know, our inheritance. Well, it starts on the Day of Atonement. All right, what is the ultimate atonement? It's Jesus' death upon the cross. And so when we realize that we are in the year of Jubilee and this is the year of God's salvation, then if we bring bring that into the cross into that, that passage there in Leviticus, we realize that we're in the year of Jubilee and we can access all that the year of Jubilee provides for us. And similarly in the book of Genesis chapter one uh, and and in Samson, and we saw that there, David and Goliath, we see that there. And all the way through, even through into the new Testament, you know, um, for example, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. Now we know that five is a number of grace and a thousand, not what we explained before in Isaiah 60 verse uh, 22 Says that a small one will be a nation, a little one a thousand. A thousand is a nation. So you have a thousand and five. You've got grace, nation. What's, who is the nation of grace? And so the nation of grace is Israel. All right. And so Jesus is feeding the nation of Israel. And in the process, he feeds them with five loaves, which is the word of grace. He didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world and two fish, which speaks of the witness of revelation. And so he, he comes to Israel, and in the process, when they finished, when he's finished feeding Israel with that word of grace, how many baskets do they take up? They take up 12 baskets. And what is a basket? A basket is a concave vessel. It's a picture of a human heart. That's 12 human hearts that are watching him minister, feeding Israel, that are now filled with the revelation that he's released. That's his disciples, who are then sent. He then sends them to preach the gospel, bring the kingdom to the rest of the world. Well, the book of Revelation says that there are four winds or four corners to the earth, and the fourth feeding of the four thousand in Matthew's gospel is the this the, the disciples being sent out to do likewise, to feed the the people of the world. And in that situation, four corners of the earth and the thousand the nations of the world, and in the process they take up seven baskets because it's God's desire that the nations of of the world would come to rest, their hearts would come to rest in him and the message that he brings. And just like uh, Joseph in, genesis chapter 41 42 joseph became becomes the one who distributes the seed sitting on the right hand side of pharaoh pharaoh in that situation in that narrative is a picture of the father and jesus or joseph is a picture of jesus the multicolored robes are the glory of god that his father gave him all right that was a a prophetic act but he now is that's jesus clothed in the glory and now what does he do he distributes seed to those that are hungry and come to him. That's the seed of revelation that he releases to those that come to him so that he can feed the world. Awesome, it's all, absolutely awesome, Daniel.
0: I have one more question for you, Adrian. What does Jesus make this connection between himself and Jonah for? In the belly of the fish for Three days and three nights. Come on, help me.
1: You know, as you read Jonah's account, um, that's that's like flying over Dallas again. But if you if you read Jonah's account, you realise that in Jonah chapter two is a depiction of Jesus going to hell. All right, and uh, that is a, a full picture in itself. But if that's the case, the, there's got to be Dimensions of that journey are depicted in the other three chapters, chapters one through to four. I've always struggled with chapter four with, um, with Jonah, uh, you know, creating and having a paddy or a tantrum over Nineveh. But, you but know, in, in a way, what you actually see is that in Jonah running from God in chapter one, Though Jesus doesn't run from God, it's a picture of Jesus' separation from the Father coming to earth. And and just as he does in Philippians, it says that he came down, he lowered himself to become a man, uh, to become a servant, to die on the cross. Uh, You actually see that as Jonah goes down to a ship. He goes down to Joppa, down into a ship, down into the hold of the ship. And you see that progression. And it's a picture of Christ coming for mankind. He gets thrown overboard. It's a, and and that, that's, um, they, he tells him to throw him overboard. All right. And as he does, that, that fish, the, the great fish, whale, or depending on what your version says, uh, swallows him and takes him down. Uh, he, some of the things that he reveals there uh, are astounding. But one of the things that he does reveal in hell is this separation from the Father. Uh, Jesus came so that we wouldn't experience that separation. That's one of the wonderful things that I see there which means that in heaven is his presence um but he he obviously never is a picture of jerusalem in jesus day uh, and both of them are are, are referred to as being wicked cities and when you see that it's a picture of jerusalem in jesus day um daniel chapter 4 opens up with the uh Daniel uh, sorry Daniel uh, with um, Jonah wanting to watch what takes place in Nineveh and, and wanting to see what God does in response to their lack of repentance or their repentance depending which way their hearts actually turn and he, he builds a booth and a booth was a a picture of Israel's journey Sukkoth of into the wilderness it was a it was a it was a temporary or a transitory or a um, a sojourning type picture of Israel moving through the wilderness coming into their promised land. And what God does is he a vine or a gourd that grows. And if you look up the word gourd, you find that it is a vine and you find out that it's a picture of that's a picture of Israel growing and covering and God covering Israel for a period of time. And then it says, just as uh, Jonah was enjoying the shade and avoiding the heat of the day it says that a worm ate that gourd and it died and he gets mad well Jonah in, in that situation is a picture of the Pharisees and the legal system and the uh, religious in Israel because the worm <clears throat> is the worms that are used to extract uh, what's the what's the word it's the it's the scarlet that they use. So from those, the worms and the redness of those worms is the scarlet that is created, the coloration for, for coloring twine. So the scarlet thread in um, Rahab's situation, uh, the scarlet thread that runs through scripture. Uh, and so what you find is that that scarlet thread, of course, just as it is in Rahab's window, is the blood of Christ coming from her heart. And, um, you see that that was the death of Christ, and he, in a way, removed that need for um, the the Israel Israel's covering, if you were, uh, and so they they needed to realise that God was moving into another realm, into another day, into a, no, a new thing, but they wanted to stay in the old place, and they got angry because of the new thing, and that, the, the worm is a picture of the blood of Christ, and so Jonah is like a huge um, Jonah actually means dove. And each one uh, each uh, of, of the chapters actually portray the dove and that's, the, that's what you see and that's the cont- continuity in the book of Jonah is you see dimensions of God's dove and the, the, the dove of his love is Jerusalem and so it's a picture of God wanting to minister to Jerusalem but their rejection of him. and so uh, that's also in kingdom mysteries hidden in plain sight. There's maybe three chapters I've opened up that passage of scripture, which was a lot of that was fresh revelation to me. Because I've never really understood the last part where Jonah got angry, and then I, I'm there. I'm not looking at this in the right dimension or in the right view. I, I was praying. One of the things that I do, Daniel, is I pray in the spirit to when I get stuck on a passage, and I, I find that often we tend to relate that tongues and interpretation. We tend to think of that as two different people expressing a gift. But i found that tongues. Uh, often the revelation will come to me, but not necessarily straight away. And I think that we can operate in the same thing. So tongues actually releases revelation, whether it's through you or whether it's through somebody else. And um, and so, often if I if I'm stuck in a passage, then I'll pray in tongues, and then God I get a download from Holy Spirit, and suddenly it breaks open to me. I'm looking at it in the wrong way, or it just gives me a key word or something like that, and it just opens it. Or I'm reading another passage and I can just bring the passage together and go, oh, bam, there it is. And so things will open. But praying in the Spirit is such an important thing. You know, when Samson threw that jawbone of the donkey uh, and the well opened up, and it's the well of the caller, what that declares is that at the cross, Jesus opened heaven for us. And you see that in the three mighty men. that's also mentioned in uh, hidden in plain sight in kingdom mysteries hidden in plain sight but what you see there in the story of samson uh how much time have i got daniel can i
0: just open this up you know the, the, the beautiful thing about having a podcast is technically i have no time limit i go I 10 hours folks i'm not going to do that but <laughs> <laughs> please go ahead
1: and so what Samson does, of course, is he cries our thirst. God opens a, a, a well. And that's a, that, what that actually tells us is that when Jesus cried our thirst at the cross, he wasn't crying out for natural water, which he rejected when, when, when the, the soldier put the sponge the, and to his lips. Um, what it was is a picture of Christ's desire to open heaven to mankind. He thirsted to open heaven to mankind. And the well of the caller is when we we are praying in the spirit. And as it bubbles up, now heaven comes to earth through us. We are the vehicle. We are the well watering the wilderness that surrounds us. The next part in Samson's story, as you move through um, uh, Judges 15 into Judges 16, is that Samson then goes and visits a harlot in Gaza a prostitute in gaza and what we have done is we have associated this guy samson with the guy with a lust problem uh, who is, a, is a, you know he's, he, he's referred to as the weak strong man in some places uh and maybe that's true but the holy spirit has recorded his life in such a way that it parallels christ more than we often would appreciate and so what samson does is he goes to gaza gaza means stronghold. And the Holy Spirit has recorded that he's there all night, all night, and at midnight. So three nights, but he's only there one night, but the Holy Spirit has re- recorded that he's there all night, all night, midnight. He breaks f- free, or breaks out of Gaza, and he breaks out of Gaza with the gates of Gaza on his shoulders. Isaiah 9, uh, 7. Right, the government should be upon his shoulders. Um, it also realized that what samson does is he carries not only the gates but the the up the door and the locking bar of those gates and the bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail so after jesus defeats the enemy at the cross he goes to hell and he breaks down the legal system as it were sin and death and the law ability to hold mankind because of what he's achieved at the cross so now that the work that you do in redeeming and doing uh, the work in uh, fractured souls, if, as it were, and releasing them, because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, we mirror that uh, and releasing the soul is seen there in that same situation because now there's no legal, once we understand it, sin and death and the laws is dismantled. Now, Samson takes that, those gates, the the two doorposts and the locking bar, and he takes it to Hebron. Hebron means association. Physically, it's 35 miles away. But what it is, the picture of him taking the authority, all authority has been given to me, Jesus dismantling hell and taking it as he comes and sits with the Father. And now we have the legal authority in him to plunder hell, to release souls from hell's um, torment, as it were, and so, the work that you do, Daniel, so fantastically, uh, once you get a picture of that, and maybe it could be even David Hogan's work of resurrecting people physically, once you get a picture of this, you go, wow, here's the legal ground, the courts of heaven on which I stand, and I can start to do the work that I do with confidence that I know what I'm doing because I see that in the dimensions that Christ's provisioned for us out of that Old Testament passage, which is an eternal truth that exists today. Mm-hmm. Because it took place as a depiction of the cross, a dimension of the cross. So when Jesus died upon the cross, the Gospel writers could not capture that interdimensional scene for us. But that interdimensional scene and the provision of that interdimensional scene is provided for us in the rest of Scripture in the narratives and stories and the truth behind that. And the spirit of understanding releases that. And it not only does it do that, but it gives us a new love for Christ, a new reason to worship in the completed work of the cross, but also then it gives us a new love for scripture. And we start to dig and mine Uh, old things and new, or the scribe instructed in the kingdom brings out forth revelation or nuggets or provision from the old and new. And so uh, God has for us such a joy and such a fullness that we are only just starting to discover.
0: Well, folks, <clears throat> we've been talking about a book called Kingdom Mysteries Hidden in Plain Sight. Uh, my guest today has been Adrian Beal. Do you have a website that you prefer people to visit if they want to know a little bit more about you? So um,
1: my own personal ministry is Everest Ministries with two R's. So everestministries.com. So you could you could email Adrian at everestministries.com. Um, but I also ministered together with Adam Thompson, who is a seer prophet. Uh, and God has just graced us uh, wonderfully in that you have a, a prophetic teacher and you have this seer prophet, and the two just seem to complement each other. And that's why. Uh, the divinity code has, has worked so well because you had two ministries working together um, so daniel i can keep talking but i, I know that you want to bring this to a close um and so Everest Minist- adrian at everestministries.com or you can go to my website everestministries.com
0: this has been a lot of fun adrian thank you have yeah, to do it again and you. folks you have been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church the Bride Ministries Institute free resources and to support us financially That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW void were prohibited by law. See terms
1: and conditions eighteen plus.